And last week, Jenny spoke on being a people of prayer. And I'm drawing our series into land by talking today about the scriptures, about being people of the Bible. And so our reading is from 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 17. And uh, the context is that Timothy, the apostle, is, sorry, Paul, the apostle, is coming to the end of his life. He's in prison. He knows he's going to die. And so he writes this quite emotional letter to his young apprentice, Timothy, who's a church leader in Ephesus. And you know, when you don't have long, I guess you tend to think a little bit longer about the words that you write and about what you say, and they have an extra power and poignancy. And um, this is what Paul writes to Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 3, starting at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I think Paul knows there'll be times when Timothy will question the trustworthiness of the Bible, that he might drift away from the Bible. And so in a sense, Paul is saying here, continue to be a person of the Scriptures, continue to be a man of the Word. And I think for us, that is the message this morning, that we too can be people that might drift away and to look to other things for wisdom, encouragement, and guidance. And Paul says, continue to be people of the Word. I want to ask, how would you describe your relationship with the Bible at the moment. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, uh, yes, I'm with you. I'm all in. I'm a Bible person. Coffee and the Word every morning gets me going. Yes, please. I just eat it up. I love it. Maybe you're a bit more of a, it's complicated. You have mixed feelings about the Bible. There's times when it's really spoken to you. You see its beauty, its depth, but you also have big questions. Uh, You struggle to engage with it fully and uh, you rarely read it on your own. Maybe you just really struggle with the Bible, plain and simple. Worship, community, social action, other elements of church, you're all in. But the Bible, you just find it hard to get on with. Or maybe you're here, you're not a Christian, you're just exploring faith. Bible is something from the dim and distant past of RE lessons or something like that. Wherever you are, I want to say it's okay. And an honest answer is a good answer to that. And I also want to begin by acknowledging there are parts of the Scriptures that are really hard. I wonder if you've ever woken up in the morning, thought you'd read a Bible passage, and you've read a a psalm about smiting enemies, or you've read something in the Old Testament about angels killing another army, and then you're kind of going into work thinking, Lord, what do I do with that? Have you ever had that experience? You've read the Bible and thought, what do I do with that? How do I read that? How is that relevant for my life? There are some tips 
that we could offer on how to read the Bible, how to understand the Bible. But it remains the case that at, the t- at times the Bible can be challenging. There are parts of the Old Testament that seem excessively violent, parts of the New Testament that seem patriarchal and sexist. So if all this is true, why do we want to be people of the Bible? Why is the Bible so valuable to us? In Psalm 19, David talks about how precious the Bible is. He says it's more precious than gold. It's sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. Now, to our two girls, honey is very precious. When we make them porridge in the morning, they petition us relentlessly for more and more honey. It is something valued in our home. Honey is sweet. Honey is good. Why does David say the Bible is more precious than gold and sweeter than honey? Around the world today, people risk their lives to smuggle the Bible into persecuted countries. We think of North Korea, or we think of Somalia. Why would you do that? Why would you risk your life for this book? When King Charles was crowned king, he was given a Bible, and these words were spoken over him. Here is the most valuable thing this world affords. Why is the Bible the most valuable thing in the world? And why does the Apostle Paul, in some of his last words to Timothy, encourage him to be a Bible person, to stay faithful to the wisdom of the Scriptures? I just want to share two reasons briefly why I want to be a person of the Scriptures and why we want to be a church of the Scriptures. And the first is this, that the Bible is a place of encounter, like the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve, the burning bush for Moses, Mount Sinai for Elijah. For us, it's in the Bible that we can meet the person and presence of Jesus and we can hear his voice. In John 5 verse 39, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says this, you search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to have this life. Jesus got angry with the Pharisees because they refused to open their hearts to Jesus, the person the Scriptures point to in the first place. They twisted the Scriptures. They misused them. And they used the Scriptures to judge others and to bring people down, which is opposite to the heart of God and the heart of Jesus. So that's why he so often got angry with the Pharisees. We read something similar in that beautiful resurrection story, The Road to Emmaus, and Jesus is walking with these two disciples. And it says this in Luke 24, Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. See, the Bible is there to point us to Jesus and to allow us to encounter a person We don't worship the Bible, we worship Jesus, but the Bible is, Luther said, the cradle in which Jesus lies. You might find it helpful to think of it like this. About seven years ago, when I was dating my now wife Lydia, we did the long distance thing for a bit, and um, I was at college in another city, 
Theological College, and Lydia was in London working as a junior doctor. And so most of the weekends involved a train journey uh, to visit each other from Cambridge to London. And so during the week, we used to write to each other. And it was the early season of dating, so there was kind of like those butterflies, and there was excitement. Uh, well, there's still excitement now, but, you know, it's different. Um, and most weeks, we would send a letter or a card to each other. And I tell you, it was the highlight of my week to go and look at my box, my post box at college, and flick through the boring letters, and then find one with Lydia's writing on it. And uh, I would open it up, and I would read it, and I would reread it, and I would store it away safely, and I still have those cards today. And the reason why I love those cards and those letters was not the paper and the ink that it was written on, but it was because of the person behind them and the voice that I heard within them. And the same is true for us of the Bible. Paul writes that all scriptures, God breathed, it's living. And through it, we hear God's voice. Through it, we receive his life, his breath. It's a place of encounter. It's a holy place. I recently heard the conversion story of a guy called Anthony Bloom. He grew up as an atheist, but came to be one of the most prominent church leaders of the 20th century in the Eastern Orthodox Church. And uh, as a medical student, he was living in Paris And he was invited to a lecture about the Christian faith, which he said he definitely did not want to go to as an atheist. But the university insisted that he go. They just said, you have to go and be polite. You don't have to listen. You just have to sit in the room. And as he sat there, he became more and more angry with what this guy was saying about the Christian faith because he was an atheist and he knew it wasn't true. And so once this lecture was done, he rushed home and he found a Bible in his family's house And he resolved to disprove Christianity. He didn't want to waste too much time on it. And so he found the shortest gospel. He found Mark's gospel. And he writes about this experience in a book he wrote later. And he said this, While I was reading the beginning of St. Mark's gospel, before I reached the third chapter, I suddenly became aware that on the other side of the desk there was a presence. And that that certainty was so strong that it was Jesus Christ standing there, and it has never left me. And he went on to say that reading the Scriptures began as an event that left all problems of disbelief behind. Why? Because it was a direct and personal experience. The Bible is a place where we encounter the living God. That's why it's so precious. That's why David says it's more precious than gold, why it's sweeter than honey. That's why it's the most valuable thing this world affords, because in the Bible, we meet almighty God. And sometimes people say, well, I don't know how, lo- how much scripture to read in the morning. How do I know how much to read? And a really great answer to that would be to read for as long as you know you've met the Lord. You know, sometimes it might be just a few verses and you know that you've had an encounter with God, you've sensed his spirit. It might, sometimes it might be a little longer, but read and be there until you've met the Lord. And here's my experience. The days that I stop to make time for this encounter tend to go better than the days that I don't. I'm a little bit less grumpy with my wife. I've got a little more patience for people. I look a little bit more 
like Jesus because it's the presence of Jesus that transforms and changes us. So firstly, the Bible is a place of encounter. And then the Bible, secondly, is a place of wisdom. And boy, in the cultural moment that we're in at the moment, do we need wisdom. Do you agree? As a culture, as a society, there are huge debates raging about massive fundamental issues. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a man, to be a woman? Identity, the value of human life, justice, retribution. I've had a number of conversations with church members about these issues recently. How do we know what is right? How do we know what is wrong? How do we know what will end up with human flourishing and human pain? And then, of course, we have the daily wisdom that we're looking for. We might call that guidance. Well, we're not quite sure which way to go in our personal lives. How might that relate to you at the moment? Decisions about how to handle an awkward friendship situation, something going on in our families that's tricky. How do I handle that? Romance, sex, money, jobs. I think an image that's helpful to have in our minds is a map. Now, imagine that you went on holiday to New York City. But when you got there, you realized that the map you'd put in your suitcase as you unpack your suitcase in your hotel was actually for Chicago. It wouldn't be much use, would it? You could read it through and through. You could take it with you. But it wouldn't be much use because for a map to be useful, it needs to correspond to reality. We all have mental maps in our minds, maps of how the world is, how things are. But the question is, do we have the right map? Does it correspond to reality? And the Bible helps us to understand, Paul says, what is true and what is right. What is reality? And so when we live within that reality, we can flourish within it. John Mark Comer puts it like this. If we could have the quote on the screen, Ben, that'd be great. When we believe truth, that is, ideas that correspond to reality, we show up to reality in a way in which we flourish and thrive. We show up to our bodies, to our sexuality, to our relationships. We show up above all to God in a way that is congruent with the Creator's wisdom and good intentions for His creation. And as a result, we tend to be happy. But when we ignore the map, when we ignore the wisdom of the Scriptures, that's actually when we tend to get a bit lost and when things go wrong. And I think if you look at culture at the moment, as we've stepped away from our base in Western civilization of the Scriptures, I think lost would be an apt word to use. And the Father wants us to come back home to Him. The American president, Thomas Jefferson, was known for cutting out bits of the Bible that he didn't like. Whenever he went to a hotel, he traveled around, maybe the Gideons were there, and he'd get this Bible and he'd cut out the bits that he didn't like. Uh, that's one way of dealing with the Bible, I suppose. But it's easy for us, isn't it, in a sense, to do the same. Obviously not literally, but we can pick the bits of the Bible that we like and we could ignore the other bits. But Paul says here, all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture. 
And when we open ourselves to the whole story of God, the whole counsel of God in old school language, that's when we see the map most clearly. That's when we begin to thrive. Then, of course, the Bible is how God speaks to us personally and clearly, like that letter. I've got a a friend who is a vicar, and he's gifted prophetically, and people sometimes come to him and say, do you have a word for me? And he says, I don't just have a word. I've got some books. In fact, I've got 66 books. They're all in this Bible. If we want to hear from the Lord about something in our lives, we need to be people of the Bible. We need to get our Bibles open. I remember a time a little while ago when I was looking for a job, and it was dragging on and on and on. I'd been praying about it for the best part of a year. I was getting really frustrated, and one morning I woke up, and I was just so exasperated with the situation, and I was praying, Lord, what do I do? And um, I did my morning Bible reading, and in the morning Bible reading, this is what one of the passages said. Do not throw away your confident trust in the Lord. Patient endurance is what you need now. And it was like God was speaking right into that situation. And it enabled me for that day to be patient. It enabled me to deal with the situation that I was facing. And in the end, God did provide because he does know best and he loves to provide for his children. But if I hadn't bothered to open the Bible that morning, I would have never had the chance to receive from him. How often do we miss out? on hearing from the Lord, because we don't make time. So as I come into land, I just want to return to that question we began with. What thing could you do each day that, if you did, would make a tremendous positive impact on your life? There are many good things, I'm sure. Sleep would be a great one. Doing nothing, a great one. Uh, Flossing, I was thinking of. Dentist always says to do that. But here's one thing I know. A bit of Bible every day would make a tremendous impact. Can you do that? Could you do that? Encountering Jesus, receiving his presence, his love, his life, his wisdom, his voice in our lives. Jesus said the Bible is like bread. He said it's the bread of life. I don't know about you, but I eat bread every day. It's something that we have every day to sustain us, to strengthen us, to give us life. And so to do that, we need to get practical and intentional. We need a time, a place, and a plan. When's the time in the day that you could do this? Morning's often a good time, but it might be for you. You just cannot handle mornings, and a lunch break would be better. Whatever works for you, but find a time, and then find a place. Is there a chair in your living room? Is it on the train on the way to work? Where's the place? And if you can make it a regular thing, then you just know that that's the place that you meet. God, I've got a sofa in our house, and that's just the place where I sit down and meet the Lord. And then what's the plan? And there are loads of plans out there. We've got a plan uh, you could take away this morning. It's called Bread. And it just has a gospel reading and a psalm. Just something for you to read so you don't need to worry about what to read. I use something called the lectionary, which is from reading plan from the Church of England. There are loads of apps out there. If you want uh, wisdom advice on what to use, then do come and speak to me. And you can take one of those bread away this morning. Paul says, all scripture 
is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, training, and correcting in righteousness. Amen. Amen. Shall we just stand for a moment?